I'm Bill Lawrence, and this is my Big Bag of Onions. The cough made to California, broken hearts and bars unknown. And through this night we'll share a lover On that dark radio Had a soul made me so lonely Hands pressed cold against the phone The young stars After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang out. After midnight, we're gonna chill up and shine. We're gonna cause talk and suspicion, give an exhibition, find out what it is all about. After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang out. After midnight, gonna shake your tambourine. After midnight, it's gonna be peaches and cream. We're gonna cause talk and suspicion, give an exhibition, find out what it is a whole After midnight, we gonna let it all hang. Suspicion, give an exhibition, find out what it is on laid back. After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang out. I didn't meet Karayan practically for 10 years. In 1979, I was making my last tour with the Philharmonia Orchestra of London, and the tour was in America, in North America. 
When we do these uh, big tours, we not only play in New York, in Boston, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, but we go also to smaller places, less important places. And I remember that uh, one concert took place in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I did the concert uh, and in this uh, strange uh, hotel, very uh, strange hotel. And I was with my wife. And the next morning at 7 o'clock, the telephone rang. Two calls at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the telephone was ringing, 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 ringing. And uh, so at that point, I had to answer. So I took the telephone and I said, in a very uh, upset way, angry, I said, said, pronto. And uh, from the other part, I hear, sono carayan. <laughs> and then I said to my wife, smiling, there is an idiot here that says this carayan. What kind of joke is this? And then I said, ha, ha, ha. And then he said, sono carayan. Then I said, oh, oh. I said, maestro. How could you find me? And he said in Italian, Se uno vuole trovare una persona, la trova. If you want to find a person, you find him. Under this 
life will wait. I wish I was out and not working late. I've gotta get out. Got to slow down. Everybody's looking down. I'm under force, underground. I'm under force, underground. I'm under force, oh, oh, underground. Perhaps they didn't know. Perhaps I say whatever it is, it was available. The concert was sold out, and a huge success. And they actually made a lot of money. It was so successful that they immediately, in 1945, Victor soon saw that this was a very good idea, and he booked the Albert Hall for two concerts. And not only that, in fact, Solomon did not appear on, on either of those concerts. The first artist to appear was Ida Handel. She was, I think, 17. They also proved successful. And Adrian Bolt conducted many of the concerts, Basil Cameron, and of course, Malcolm Sargent. And then Yehudi came along in 1949. Mm. Another very momentous thing happened in 1949, and that was... I met Victor. Victor met me. I met Victor. He used to come into the into yes. Schoenfeld's office, yes. perch on the end of it. He didn't actually have his own office in those days. He used to perch at the end of my desk, and we got very friendly. I, of course, was already very interested in music, and I thought, well, this this is very interesting. I knew Victor's name, and I thought this sounds like a good idea. So I went full steam ahead, and I was twenty. And I decided, well, it's time to get married. And we did. Well, let's say that we both thought of the idea.
You are listening to Bill's Big Bag of Onions. It seems to me that there is a clear line between the cosmopolitan Hungarians and the nationalist Hungarians. It's always been like that. We remember when Gustav Mahler used to be the opera director in Budapest, he got into very, very heavy conflict with the then nationalist Hungarian camp. Uh, and, and these are names people know less in the, in the Western world, like the Erkel family. Mm. We know Ferenc Erkel, who wrote the, the big uh, nationalist Hungarian operas. But his son, Sándor Erkel, was a conductor, but nobody knew him outside of Hungary. Béla Bartók stayed there and had very strong uh, feelings for being Hungarian. Mm although he immediately recognized that, that, that being a nationalist is something he wanted to distance himself very, very clearly. For example, when he started to collect next to Hungarian also Romanian and Slovak folk songs and uh, extended his, his work into the neighboring countries. Mm-hmm. He was seen as a traitor in Hungary, Bartók, at that time in the 30s. And then... He got to the point where he said, now I have to leave, because when the Horthy regime became more and more friendly with the Nazis, he reached the point, this is the time to leave. What are you doing again? You're taking over a radio station? That's not allowed, surely?
in this business, one's personal life, one's professional life, since it's what we call in the States 24-7, we're on duty all the time, something's always happening, um, it becomes a way of life and it's engaging and exciting. And of course, if one lives it properly, engages with a much larger segment, not just music, but with politicians, with you know great thinkers, with writers, with people like Frank Gehry. Um, so uh, I wouldn't call the road tough. I, I would call it exciting and uh, really so rewarding.
My father was born in Colombia, and that is the, uh, although I was born in New York City, that is the technical definition uh, in this country. I don't even know if I am now. This was, uh, this was a while ago. I mean, if I'm listed there, but... Uh, you know, it, it depends where your where your heart is, and uh, I don't speak Spanish, uh, so that's a that's uh, although you know my grandmother spoke only Spanish, uh, but in the nineteen and fifties in America, uh, that simply wasn't in. And what one did was that the the children who were born here um, were absolutely we were forbidden to speak Spanish. In fact, you you just spoke. English, because that was that was the way one became Americanized. But you know, of course, the fifties was such a crazy time in American life. It was so conservative and so constrained, and uh, you know, it was the we were in Eisenhower mania, and it was a long time from what how the country began to transform itself in in the sixties and seventies.
Do you know, I'm not even absolutely sure where they were married. They met in Palestine during the war because, in fact, my mother left Europe with the rise of the Nazis. And so she spent the war, in fact, playing the cello all around Palestine, Egypt, everywhere to the British troops and so on. And my father was in Iraq during the war and uh, with the British army and he went there he heard her play the cello fell in love with her proposed to her the next day and in fact I think they may have got married in in India I'm not I'm not even sure Um, but then we went to India because his parents had business interests there and that's where I was born just before she left for Palestine, mm. she played the Dvořák Concerto with Kubelik and the Czech Philharmonic. I mean, she, she in was... In Prague? Yes, absolutely. Mm. I mean, she was a, a real rising star as a soloist. She would have had a phenomenal career. And then she then went to Palestine. And then when I was born and then subsequently my sister, um, we went... My father bought a farm in Africa. So for about six years whilst we were in Africa, my mother wasn't playing the cello on the farm in Africa. And she then picked up the cello when she came back to England with us um, when we were about six years old. And that was really when she had to earn a living then, because my parents had split up, and she had to earn a living and support us. So then she was playing in the Philharmonia um, and the English Chamber Orchestra, and she did a lot of playing. So she was a wonderful musician. I remember her complete bafflement that I could stop playing the cello, even temporarily at that stage, because she thought the only thing that mattered in life was to play music all your life. And she was still practicing when she was 90. You're listening to Bill's Jody wears a hat although it hasn't rained for six days She says a girl needs a gun these days Hey, on account of those rattlesnakes On account of those rattlesnakes Looks like he Born child haunts her now as she speeds down the freeway. As she tries her luck with the traffic police out of boredom more than spite. She never finds no trouble, she tries too hard. She's oblivious despite herself.
I feel very much at home on this stage. It's a place that I love to be, and I have found that it's an incredible teacher to me. So I welcome the chance to be on there. I suppose I welcome the chance to play the fool <laughs> every once in a while. I had a natural ability to go out on stage and impress as, as an actress, but it wasn't always real. It was sometimes done in a very showy way. From what age? Uh, high school. Mm -hmm. I loved being on the stage. It was only, I think, by actually doing this a lot and being on my own and wanting to be better that I was able to start peeling away some of the layers around me and I think become a more honest performer where I wasn't trying to impress so much and make a big impression but really trying to find the truth of the character and let more of myself show through but that's been a process and I think it will continue I hope and you felt that being on stage was was the most of you that this actually brought you out of yourself out of your shell out of being the prairie girl yes a few years ago after 9-11 I remember in particular I think everybody's world shifted a little bit at that time and I realized the only place I really felt alive and free was on the stage
Well, maybe the way my life has been running until now, privately and musically, that does not mean there were not difficult moments, obviously, also concerning health, because unfortunately I had a kind of severe warning a few years ago concerning my heart, for instance. But so far, everything was controlled without need of surgery, you know, and things are running very well. Therefore, I cannot complain how the general situation of my life has been developing until now. Probably the secret is the fact that I do a profession I still like, And the reason why I do still like this profession is because of the interest to the new. New means the unknown, the unknown to me, or what unknown is in the music field, and certainly the possibility of making new music. You heard today a rehearsal of organ concerto of Mr. Metreux, an interesting composer from Switzerland. Laurent Metreux. Laurent Metreux, yes. And that's one example where I do a program alternating Bach's music with Stravinsky, with Metreux, and also with Alexander von Zemlinsky. Therefore, something certainly not being part of a stereotype program for Leipzig or for symphonic programs in general. This is one of the aspects of why I do still very much enjoy my work of conducting, although I started when I was a kid, as you know, at the age of 13. small town and you drink the happy hour I'm in London still I'm in London 
London still. I'm in London still. I took the tube over to Camden to wander around. I bought some funky records with that old Motown sound, and I miss you like my left arm that's been lost in a war. Today I dream of home and not of London anymore. I'm in London still. I'm in London still. Yeah, I'm in London still. myself that. I'm, I'm not quite sure. It must be that uh, I enjoy it, and I, I certainly enjoy being able to aid and abet young singers, help them along. I, I really like teaching very, very much, and because I do have so many contacts and friends uh, in the world, I'm able to also help them in many other ways, pick up the phone and call somebody and maybe just say, so-and-so is auditioning for you today or tomorrow. Open up your ears, especially for this singer, because I think this singer is special. People call me and ask me if I could please cast their next uh, Beethoven Ninth or Mozart Requiem or something like that, which I'm always delighted to do, because I have a long list of singers who've passed my way that I just, you know, have a great joy to recommend. 
I just sort of fell into all of it. I didn't really have a plan, to tell you the truth. I had not thought too much about teaching. In fact, I didn't even know if I could teach. Some friends have said to me, well, you're just, you're crazy. You've been teaching always because, say, in a rehearsal, a young singer might be singing, and I would walk up and say, why are you singing that like that?
like it here and uh, Finland not being the biggest country in the world is one of the best countries if one can say a best country in principle it's very difficult to put number one number five number 20 best for say. music good for music good for quality of life smart yeah. good economy not very big population yet very high quality of Whatever they start doing, they somehow succeed, I think. Nature is kept in good shape, the healthy trees, forests, clean lakes, uh, amazing. You come here with your orchestra, you know for sure that musicians will enjoy it. If you give them free morning, and then at four o'clock you rehearse before the concert, repertoire which normally musicians know rather well, And then at seven or sometimes at eight o'clock you have a concert and then again you can spend time with your colleagues, or musicians or your friends or some of the public. And then you can see your family even before you go to bed and you take your children and uh, they swim in the lake. So there are many, many pluses. It's smaller than Tanglewood, but we wouldn't say it's less nice. I wouldn't say so. Maybe less pressure, but uh, we don't think about pressure here. It's It's a country where people know what they want to do. So if public comes, they know the reason. They know the reason. Onions. Big bag of onions. Onions. Big bag of onions. to Bill's big bag of onions. 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 It was a, a burden in a sense because you felt responsible to 
the notes on the page and the mm. words on the page that that never left you um, and also responsibilities to one's colleagues I, I used to try not to show my own fear or my own worries to a, a cast when I was in a cast because you had to be the strong one well I felt that it was part of the the job if you were mm. if you were uh, in a responsible role mm. then you had a duty to to colleagues as well to to care for their needs as well um, and it's something I liked very much I loved working in a group like that I wish in retrospect that I could have been more light-hearted about it but it just wasn't my personality uh, it was it was a responsibility. I, I've talked to a lot of people about this in various uh, spheres, and it seems to me that there's a feeling which stems right from childhood that something is going to happen. You don't quite know what it is, uh, and you don't know how it'll be expressed. I certainly didn't, but I, I felt strongly that I was to do something special with my life. Perhaps we all feel this.
I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me again soon for another journey through the pleasures of music, words, and sound. Be seeing you. Bill's Big Bag of Onions has been produced and directed by Adrian Cohen and is a copy production for Colm Radio.